Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about all our unrealized fears. What can we do about them? We bring you another installment of Ads and Fads. We report on a surprise appearance of a meteor in a lady's bedroom. We introduce a new kind of fixable computer for us technically challenged types. We offer commentary on William Shatner's recent bold flight into space, and we share the story of an English husband who upset his wife one too many times. The Old Dog's conversation is with Martha Thomases, a prolific writer for New York Publications and the creator of Dakota North for Marvel Comics. Stay with us. Well, Paul, is it nap time or is it time to ask you what's on your mind? Which one? Well, you know, Jim, I'm I'm getting a little bit tired of dragging you along <laughs> into deep thought, but okay, one more time. Uh, th- we did a pod nugget or we have a pod nugget in our current episode that's about a lady waking up to find a meteorite had landed near her head in her bed. And uh, I tell you, that started me thinking, how many people our age uh, tend to live their life in fear of the unexpected? You got some thoughts on that? You want an exact number? I can uh, do, give it a stab. Do you stab. have that? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. A lot. Yes, yes. A lot. I mean, typically, uh, it's sort of human nature to be uh, fearful of the unexpected, because after all, we don't know. We have fear of the unknown, right? And it goes all the way back to the primitive times uh, before television. Oh, now, now you're getting introspective. Okay. Yeah. That's right. No, that's okay. Yeah. Well, you asked me. I did, and okay. I'm sorry I brought it up. Right, back to you, Paul. <clears throat> You know what? I, I think um, I think that's something that people our age should uh, confront and deal with. Well, it, how do you do that, though? I mean, if you don't know well, what you're afraid of. Well, or... I, I guess you could sit down and make a list of things that could possibly happen to you. Yeah, and check them off one by one as they happen. We could make a list, but that that would sort of make me even more apprehensive. Uh, because then I could actually stare at this list of stuff that I hadn't thought about until this moment. On the other hand, if I don't think about it, if I tend to live in uh, La La Land, uh, I would feel better, <laughs> wouldn't you? I don't know. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go for La La Land. <laughs> yeah, I could see uh, vacationing frequently in La La Land. When I was saying make a list, there was something to that, which is if you name the unknown, it's a way of taming it. So if you if you are developing a level of fear that's an accumulation of things you've seen on the news, things your friends have experienced, mm-hmm. things going on in a distant far land, that naming it and talking about it, I think, can diminish it. Okay. Uh, would that include um, the fear of finding a meteor next to you on your pillow? <laughs> no, I've added that to oh, my fear okay. list. <laughs> That's, That's right next to being bludgeoned to death by leprechauns. <laughs> 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 
All right, from the Ads and Fads Trivia Department, we are going to test your quiz worthiness with a fad from the 50s. This toy, which appeared in 1958, was manufactured by the Whammo Toy Company. It was a huge hit. The odds are that you had at least one. It has been traced back to a dance performed by Native Americans. Another historian claims that it can be traced back to a fad in 14th century England in which some participants were treated for back injuries and even heart failure. It is safe to say this toy has been around for a long time, and we'll be back with the answer later in the podcast. Just when you started sleeping at night, here's something that will keep you awake. Oh, no. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for October 14th, 2021. Ruth Hamilton was peacefully asleep in her home in British Columbia. She was abruptly awakened by her dog barking. This was followed by a loud explosion. She jumped out of bed and turned on the lights. Her room was covered in ceiling debris. Something had poked a hole in her roof. Her first guess was a large branch from a nearby tree, but then she noticed a three-pound rock about the size of a large fist resting between the two (laughs) pillows on her bed. It was a meteorite that landed inches for making an unfavorable impression on Ruth Hamilton. Authorities say that the odds of your house being hit by a meteorite, which ends up in your bed, are one in one billion. That wasn't exactly a comfort for Miss Hamilton, who didn't sleep the rest of the night. <laughs> she sat awake in a chair, sipping tea and eyeing the unwelcome visitor to her bedroom. After researchers finish studying the rock, she intends to keep it as a reminder of how lucky she was. This might be a good time to buy a lottery ticket, Ruth. I would say so. <laughs> Well, there's a new computer in town, and it's exciting news for those of us lacking the geek gene. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for October 13th, 2021. The new computer is called The Framework. It is a laptop in which every one of its parts is easily replaceable, even the screen. If you open up the computer, each part is clearly labeled and accompanied with a QR code that sends you to a tutorial page for repairing or replacing the part. This laptop fills a void for an easily repairable computer. The framework is the first laptop to receive a 10 out of 10 repairability score from iFixit. The basic model does everything most people will need for a price tag of about a thousand bucks, and the intent is that it will be upgradable for about 10 years. It is certainly a big change for most electronics that are designed to be tossed out and replaced when they fail. Now, you may be a bit skittish about trying to repair your computer, even with the instructions readily available. Well, that's okay. It still means repairs will be much cheaper, especially if you turn it over to your grandkids for fixing. (laughs) Well, here's the downside. Framework is a small startup company. There's no history of reliability. There will be growing pains. You can anticipate problems with customer support, hardware failures, and replacement parts. And of course, there's no guarantee that the company will survive. But if you're shopping for a new computer and the previous paragraph doesn't scare you, consider the easily repairable framework. It's an idea we can all get behind, a computer that can be upgraded for 10 years that will cut down the e-waste that is building up around this country. Now I can get behind that. 
This is well known by now, but William Shatner, after spending years on the pretend ship Enterprise, finally made a real space trip. This pod nugget is from The Observer for October 15th, 2021. Shatner traveled to the edge of space aboard a Blue Origin New Shepard rocket. We don't know if he paid the full price, but we do know that his former employer, Priceline, was not an option for a discount. His brief 10-minute ride, 66 miles into the sky, made him the oldest traveler into space at the age of 90. It's certainly an accomplishment for someone his age, but his trip has brought some unexpected criticism. In an interview on the BBC, Prince William suggested that there is a fundamental question about the carbon cost of space flights. He continued, We need some of the world's greatest brains and minds fixed on trying to repair this planet, not trying to find the next place to go and live. Shatner also took a few jabs from his Star Trek co-star, actor George Takai. Sulu called his former on-screen captain an unfit guinea pig for space tourism. He is boldly going where other people have gone before. Well, I doubt if William Shatner thought he was advancing science. It was just a joyride. But Prince William raised some interesting questions. Should we be wasting resources on space tourism when we have so many other problems to solve back on Earth? Yeah, I like that. A lady in England took a marital spat a little too far with some fatal cutting remarks. This pod nugget is from the Indispensable Sky News for October 11th, 2021. Penelope Jackson, age 66, stabbed her husband, David Jackson, age 78, to death as he was making an emergency call for help. Penelope took the phone from him and told the operator her husband was moaning on the floor and... He had some holes in him. (laughs) Hmm. She continued her confessional. I've killed my husband, or tried to, because I had enough. He's in the kitchen bleeding to death with any luck. I thought I'd get his heart, but he doesn't have one. The conversation (laughs) continued for 18 minutes until the police arrived. As Penelope was taken to the police car after her arrest, she said, I know what I've done, and if I've not done it properly, I'll be really annoyed. Friends said that the couple, who had been married for 16 years, had occasional arguments but were happy together. However, police were called to their home last year when a dispute over a TV remote escalated. She locked her husband in the conservatory to calm down, and he had smashed his way out with a poker. If that was the level of their occasional arguments, the stabbing wasn't a surprise ending. Now, the trial is still going on, but it is sure to be interesting. Penelope has claimed that her husband has been acting strangely ever since he had a battery replaced in a brain implant (laughs) used to manage a medical condition. We'll keep you informed of any further developments. Brain implant? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the first. I I have not heard of a brain implant. And she'll get off, probably. All right, here's the answer for our ads and fads trivia. If you haven't guessed it, the toy that has been round for a long time is the hula hoop. Oh. Yeah, consider these records. The longest record for keeping a hula hoop spinning is 74 hours and 54 minutes. The largest hoop successfully twirled was 16 and a half 
feet in diameter. <laughs> <laughs> and the most hoops twirled at the same time is 132. Wait a second. For, by the same person? Same person. Same person. 132. Talk about bad back. Martha Thomas's is a writer, a counterculturalist, a lover and creator of comics and a pretty good and a pretty good knitter. Our conversation takes us from her childhood in Youngstown, Ohio to the big city comic book scene in New York. Well, I tell you what, let's start digging into your sordid past. Uh, <laughs> you are not a native New Yorker. What was the draw when you grew up in Ohio? Yes, in Youngstown, Ohio. Okay. But we used to come to New York over the holidays, and my father's family is here, and there would be this big Hanukkah party. So I'm sure I thought that you came to New York and everybody gave you presents. You mean no, that's, that's not true? Um, not as much as I would like it to be. <laughs> Well, what about your growing up in Ohio? I mean, you're a Midwestern girl. Yeah. Then tell me about it. Well, my dad was a shopping center developer. It was a steel town when I was growing up. So we had these beautiful magenta sunsets. One of the things about the mills closing is not only was it an economic disaster for the area, but the sunsets are, are not quite as day glow as they used to be. <laughs> Easier to breathe. You can have a white wall and it won't turn gray in six months. Well, you've had a long career as a writer. When did that first develop? Was that in your teens? Uh, I mean, I wrote really, really insipidly bad poetry well through my teens. But as a 10-year-old, I did a lot of poetry, too. I wrote about my dog, you know, things like that, things, the, the important things. So why did you go to New York? I'd been active in the anti-war movement. I was a big rock and roll fan. I wanted to write. New York is where you went at the time. I don't know where you go now. When you moved to New York, it sounds like you were attracted to what we used to call uh, underground publications. Yes. What, you want to tell us about that? Well, before I moved to New York, I had worked for a weekly magazine called Win that stood for a workshop in nonviolence. It was affiliated with the War Resisters League. And through them, I had met people at The Voice. So I moved to New York and tried to write for the places that I had heard about. And I also, I think I'd been one of the four or five subscribers in Ohio of Punk Magazine. And I looked them up. And while I never wrote for Punk, I did help them organize their subscriptions. And yeah, I met my husband and he was a freelance writer. We wrote for The Voice. We wrote for this Japanese magazine. We wrote for Metropolitan Home a little bit. We wrote for Spy once. We wrote for the National Lampoon once. We wrote for a Marvel magazine called Epic Illustrated. Let's look at um, the, the connection between all of this writing activity and all of your interest in the uh, anti-war movement and social issues, and how you got connected with uh, Marvel and writing for comics. What was the bridge there that got you interested in comics? I had read comic books since I, and still do, since I was five years old. My parents in Youngstown used to get the Sunday New York Times every week. 
and we would go down to the train station because that's where the newspaper was delivered. And I was allowed to get a comic book every week and my sister too. So that was two comic books every week. Um, I was about 30 years old before I realized they did that so they could read the newspaper in peace. <laughs> but I, I just liked it. I was always interested. I always loved fairy tales and mythology. And since they're not writing that many new myths, comic books were as close as I was going to get. But your peers were very intellectual writers, were, uh, you know, countercultural heroes. And w what was their judgment about you being interested in comic books? I got a lot of them interested in comic books. Ah, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> also, I'm, if you remember, underground comics were a thing mm -hmm. in the late 60s through the 70s. And they kind of mutated in the 80s. And they were quite intellectually respectable. And if you actually meet those people, there's not a sharp line dividing underground comics people from above ground comics people. Well, you know, Jim and I were talking in our youth, and this is, you know, preteen, comic books were fairly simplistic. Right. Uh, you know, they were largely drawn myths. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Yes. But then there was a transformation where uh, superheroes started to ponder. <laughs> and uh, do you have any comment on that transition? I think some of it is that instead of reading comic books for two years, like from the time you're eight to 10 to 10 or 12, and then you're supposed to get interested in sex, people, mostly boys, stayed into comic books and they expected more out of them. I also think it gets boring to write the same stories over and over. Uh, if you read the last few Superman stories before they rebooted them in the 80s, there's so much cultural baggage in the Superman comics in terms of Krypton exploding and his adoptive parents being dead and all the people that he has known that he's just the most depressed person you will ever meet. And Superman's not supposed to be that Marvel's started to have superheroes with problems and that caught on with college kids. So I think the audience changed and the comics mutated to go where the money was. I was reintroduced to comic books probably when I was 18 or 19 and I came across a, uh, a box full of uh, Marvel comics when I was in Summerstock. And they were the funniest, most enjoyable uh, reading that I, I can remember. I guess you have to credit Marvel with bringing a sense of humor into comics, perhaps. Well, if you read the original Plastic Man, it's pretty funny. If you read The Spirit by Will Eisner that used to be a, an insert in the Sunday New York Herald Tribune, uh, they're pretty funny. But yes. Now, I, I was a DC girl because the way comics were distributed then, you couldn't be sure you'd get the next issue of a comic book. And Marvel stories were often continued and DCs weren't. So I could pick up a Marvel comic and not know what was going on. But that just means the characters I have an affinity for. I say reading Superman it's like calling my parents on Sunday every week, you know, for 20 <laughs> minutes, I find out what's, you know, who died. And, 
your introduction to, to the comic world was through uh, marketing, correct? No, I I wrote first. I wrote prose for Epic Illustrated, which was a Marvel book, and then I worked on Marvel's humor magazine, which was a mad knockoff called Crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I developed a character called Dakota North that Marvel published, I believe, five issues of before it got canceled. Three or four years later, I got a job at DC Comics in publicity. Well, that was a transition for you from the creative side to publicity. What was behind that move? Well, there was a job. (laughs) (laughs) With benefits. Um, And I saw publicity as... It's still storytelling. You know, you're still telling people, you know, what's happening. I I used to say my job is to bring happiness to millions. You know, if there was something fun happening in a comic book, I wanted to tell people about it. Could we go back to Dakota North for a second here? I imagine that there was a great deal of thinking that went into your decision to create this character, Dakota North, what prompted you to want to create this character? There were very few women involved in comic books at the time. And the assumption was that women didn't read them, which gets circular, right? Mm -hmm. So I had been talking with Larry Hama, who was the editor at Crazy, about doing comics for women, his original idea was to do um, novellas, but instead of photographing them, drawing them, have one panel a page and do a, a soap opera kind of comic book. And that mutated into Dakota North, who was a former fashion model who was a security expert, <laughs> whose father was a CIA agent and got involved with some job and dumped her younger brother on her to take care of while he went to work. You didn't miss a trope, did you? (laughs) (laughs) So what happened? Why, after five issues, did they decide this is not as good an idea as we thought? The sales must have gone down and Marvel had launched a new universe, it was called, Hmm. that I think also had disappointing numbers and was a pet of the editor-in-chief. And so since they had to cut things, they cut me. Hmm. Other people have used the character since. And last year, they reissued my run and some other stories in a trade paperback. If you go to Amazon, you can find it. So it's nice it's still in print. Martha, we like to end our conversations with the people we talk to by asking them if they've got any advice or wisdom to share with the people who are listening. So do you have any? I started to knit a little over 20 years ago. One of the things I like about it is you cannot know everything there is to know about knitting. And so I think getting involved in something where there's always something more to learn is good. Also, what I learned about knitting is that life is too short to knit with crummy yarn. <laughs> that Don't think you're not a good enough knitter to have nice yarn. That like, sounds like a Zen koan. It really does. <laughs> Life's too short to knit with crappy yarn. That's what I try to remember. Okay. And what do you do to keep intellectually involved with the world? I still read a lot. I've been trying to limit my screen time and pay attention. When I was a pretentious teenager, I thought that the way to be 
an exquisite poet was to notice all the details in life. And I would always look at the buds on the trees starting in about February, waiting for them to get bigger and bigger when spring was coming. I try to notice details like that every day. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We could always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned, keep howling at the moon, and if you haven't done it yet, be sure to get yourself and your family vaccinated.